Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So Tim Swartz is our guest co-host again this week. Before we get to our very, very special guest, Mark Ollie, who is the author of Crystal Skulls and Human Heads, The Mystical History of Glass and the Extinction of the World. And right now, with all the things happening around the world, you wonder if that extinction isn't coming soon. But that's not part of this title. That's actually another line we can ask Philip Mantle to add to it, but he won't do that. So he's sensible about it. This is, by the way, Mark's maiden voyage on Skype. He has used Zoom up to now for connections, and somehow he's worked it out. Uh, Sometimes we have people, even experienced people, that we use Skype, and they run into problems. Like, an example would be Jacques Vallée. Now, Jacques is a computer wizard, okay? He's one of the fathers or grandfathers of the Internet, in addition to his studies of the paranormal. But when we try to talk to him by Skype, we could either talk to him by Skype or our guest co-host, that was Kurt Collins. And so we had to stick with Jacques. Kurt, of course, understood he had to play second fiddle. That's how it goes. In any case, before we get started with Mark and the book about Crystal Skulls, I got this press release from an old friend of ours, Stan Gordon. He is a crack UFO paranormal investigator from western Pennsylvania, and in fact, he'll be back on the PowerCast in May. But this is something, Tim, we want to talk about quickly, because we're waiting, of course, for any new news from the government about UFOs or UAPs. But the headline from Stan Gordon's UFO Anomaly Zone site, which is stangordon.info, UFO sightings in Pennsylvania on the rise since the fall of 2021 and continuing into 2022. What you make of that, Tim? Well, the people skeptics that come out and, you know, you, you see this several times a year, you know, UFO reports declining across the world. And, you know, I often have to wonder where they get this information from, because from all the statistics and, and, and polls and, and just all the uh, various UFO grouping centers that, that I visit on an almost daily basis always seems to show increases in UFO uh, sightings uh, all over the place, you know, especially, you know, the ones that you see that are categorized in the United States uh, by by state. So it doesn't surprise me in the least. You know, Pennsylvania has always had a rich history in uh, UFO activity, cryptids, and uh, other weird things. So so, I mean, if, if you run across anyone in our audience runs across an article, you know, that says that, uh, you know, UFO reports are declining. So thus UFOs aren't real. Then, you know, you, you just have to you know shake your head and move on. Well, one thing, of course, is I lived in Pennsylvania for some of the most interesting years of my life. And I remember the what was it, fall 73. Suddenly. Out of the blue, UFO sightings. In fact, the management at the radio station at which I was working was really nice about it. You know, they had this UFO guy there who was news director of the radio station. I was also publishing a UFO paranormal magazine with my first wife, Geneva. And yet, he didn't mind or didn't notice or whatever. And so we covered the UFO beat. 
Mm. So, yes, there's always something fascinating. And, you know, when you interview Stan, you say, Stan, what's new? And then you have to simply relax for the next two hours. <laughs> yes, he he always is a plethora of interesting new information. And I should point out, uh, uh, Gene, that 1973 was really a, I think, gosh, probably what, the last official UFO flap year in the United States. I mean, you know, there have been minor flaps, but uh, 73, I mean, they were just all over the place. You know, I live in Indiana, you know, just a couple states over from Pennsylvania. You know, the UFOs were literally raining down from the skies that year. Well, I can't say that subsequent flaps have been flops because that would be a hard pun. <laughs> yeah, say it five times fast. <laughs> Backwards. Yeah, oh gosh, no. <laughs> Mark, like a, this UFO chatter may not be on your radar, but have you had an interest in UFOs? Yes. It's funny you should mention 1973. Um, the 70s for me was quite uh, eventful UFO-wise. We had quite a few sightings over here. Um, I did a lot of archaeology work then, especially in the late 70s. I was a sort of an older teenager then. Being out and about on site and what have you and sleeping in tents under the stars, you, you got to see an awful lot of very strange things whizzing around in the sky. But the best one of all was uh, quite a famous one. There's, we have a UFO uh, hunter over here by the name of Jenny Randalls. A book was produced called Mysteries of the Mid-Mersey Valley and it featured this UFO on the front cover uh, that came between Liverpool and Manchester. It travelled up the Mersey Valley in 1978 and it uh, passed through the steam on a power station. So it was quite obviously nothing that we had in terms of vehicles. And I saw it as it came up the valley here and went through the steam. And then it traveled quite a few miles up to Warrington and then vanished off into the sky. And the interesting thing is, uh, 11 years later after that, there was uh, reports then coming out of people seeing it. Um, over on the Wirral, which is way beyond Liverpool, and then it, it arrived apparently out to sea. So uh, about 34 years after I saw it, somebody contacted me to try and write it up as, a, as an encounter, and I managed to piece together all the bits. So we, we could actually work out where it came from, where it went, how long it was visible and how it traveled. So at, at some point, no doubt that will surface in the UFO community as a sighting from the 70s. But I, I saw quite a lot back in the 1970s. I'm actually an enormous fan of UFOs. There is an honorable mention in Crystal Skulls and Human Heads. The last section in the book is called Alien Heads. So uh, it does get a mention there. And I have actually been called in to examine debris that a UFO group recovered from a crash in Wales. And I've got a small piece of that uh, in my office still to this day. So I've had quite a lot of connection um, through the UFO community. All right. Stop the presses. A UFO <laughs> crash in Wales. Uh, yeah. we got to know this. If you do a search for a, a program called Europe's Roswell, it came out on reality films back in, I think it was 1997. Uh, we were looking at the uh, anniversary of the crash. It crashed in 1983 originally, so I think it would be the 15-year anniversary. Um, something came down near Aberystwyth in North Wales, Clanilla, uh, overnight and, and scattered debris over three farmers' fields. And the farmer, of course, reported it to the local airbase and said, you know, what, what's the idea here? What's going on? They sent out a team and then they were followed by a crash recovery team, which then did an enormous clear-up and removed all this debris. But a friend of mine went in 
boots, you know, sort of uh, a few days after that, and managed to get some very large pieces of fuselage out of the forest, the woods. By large, I mean sort of, you know, about 12 inches, uh, your metric, aren't you? 30 centimetres uh, by about 15 centimetres, quite a large pieces, and some foil and a lot of other bits and bobs. Uh, so enough to fill a small case anyway. And um, it was sent away for analysis. Turned out that the metal, metallic part of it was duralumin, but the rubberized surface and the resins used in it, um, nobody could identify at the time back in the 1990s. So uh, I, I was uh, I was hoping I'd be able to sort of, you know, go in there and dig a crashed UFO up out of the field, you know, but now that was never going to happen. Uh, it hit trees, it smashed, it scattered all this debris and it flew off. And then the debris was cleaned up. But the programs out there, Europe's Roswell, and we have Amazon Prime over here. So I think it's still on Amazon Prime if people want to go and look it up. Um, yeah, it's called to- Europe's Roswell. It was dated 13th May 2013. I do my research, sir. That's what and it went up. From Mark yeah. Ali and it's 55 minutes long, so this is interesting. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions before we get into Crystal Skulls. You never know. They may be related. Mark Ollie is author of a new book called Crystal Skulls and Human Heads, The Mystical History of Glass and the Extinction of the World. Is that dramatic enough? I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's what I was going for. Well, sure. <laughs> With Gene and Mark and Tim, you're in. The Paracast. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. You trust your mother, right? She's always taken care of you and always tried to give you good advice when you ask for it. And sometimes even when you don't. Well, even though she might not mention it, mom very likely has neck, back, and shoulder pains. And she needs relief. So trust this good advice. Give back to mom this Mother's Day with quality products from Sunny Bay. Like our disposable heat patches. They're back in stock now and target neck and shoulder pain in adults of all ages. Or our extra long neck heating pads. They provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs. Mom can heat them in her microwave and they come in a variety of colors and patterns. Read our trusted, authentic, and real reviews on Amazon when you search Sunny Bay Heating Wraps and shop now in time for Mother's Day. There's no shipping delays from Sunny Bay. Find us on Amazon, Walmart, Etsy, and sunny-bay.com. Remember, just search for Sunny Bay Neck Wraps. Order now because stock is high and shipping is fast from Sunny Bay. Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the Mineral Doctor. You've heard me talk about 90 for Life for years. 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 2 fatty acids. You may not know this, that I've actually designed Arthur decks for animals. That's right. Your pets need 90 for Life, too. 
Get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422. That's 877-279-9422. Again, 877-279-9422. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. And the IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how'd it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. (laughs) I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. Hey, Jimmy, turn off the video games. Let's go play some ball. I'm in the middle of my game. Can't we go later? Come on, it'll be fun. It will be there when you get back. Okay, but there's no way you're going to win. Why don't you grab some water and granola bars, and then we'll see about that. You can make a difference. Eat smart, play hard. And when you do, your kids will too. A challenge from USDA. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. All right, Mark Olley, the main topic will be crystal skulls and human heads, but right now we're looking at a documentary he did for Mark Ollie's Untold Tales, called Europe's Roswell. But now, how do you pronounce the name of that town again? It's Clonillar. It's called Clonillar. It's a small village outside Aberystwyth in Wales. Welsh is quite a language to get your head round. <laughs> I can see that, but we get all these great actors who are Welsh. Ah, you do indeed. Anthony Hopkins is one that springs to mind. Uh, yeah. Christian Bale. Sure, Batman. Uh, Batman is British. But then we have to look at the fact that the subsequent Batman, Robert Pattinson, is also British. I think it's the uh, the accent, you know, the kind of, hello, I'm Batman. It always seems to sound better in English somehow, you know. Yeah, but Michael Keaton did, I'm Batman, very well. He did. Some people say he's the best. Um, Michael Keaton's from Pennsylvania. Yeah, I was going to say, without getting too much into the debate, he, he really did a very good job. Very good job indeed. Yeah. And nobody believed, because he did comedy movies, that he could take on a serious, dark role like that. That's a predecessor to Dark Knight. But yeah. other than the over-the-top performance of Jack Nicholson as Joker, Michael Keaton uh, nailed Batman. Totally. It was, it was very strong, but as I recall, that series of movies were very colorful. They were very over-the-top. That's the ones with the Joker and Mr. Freeze and what have you in it, isn't it? I remember them. Very over the top. Well, the first two were the ones that were best. Batman and Batman Returns with Michael Keaton. When the role went to Val Kilmer and then George Clooney, 
It didn't have that spark. Again, no. the darkness of Batman. Yeah. Conveyed by a few actors. Ben Affleck does it well as an aging yeah. Batman, I think. But certainly Christian Bale and Robert Pattinson. One of the early ones uh, that featured the Penguin. Which one was the one that first featured the Penguin? Um, that would be in anyway. the 60s, the Batman show. But no, that was no, more like a comedy. No, the, the, first top the, the, the first movie of the new series had the penguin in. That would have been the second one with uh, Michael Yes. King, with Tim Burton as the uh, director. Right. Okay, you're talking about the movies, the yes. I, I, I went to see that at the cinema, and everybody sat there and watched that particular film, and it, it was quite dramatic because um, when the film ended, everybody just shuffled out in silence. It was like they'd just witnessed a funeral. You know, I think everyone was just shocked. They were all gothicked out. You know, it was just incredible. The atmosphere at the end of the movie was interesting. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Tim Burton. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer was Catwoman. And I think yeah. she was one of the best. She's an amazing actress. Anyway, let's get into Mark Ollie's background. Okay. okay. You're in the music business and you're also in the archaeological business. How do we put the two together? Wow. It all goes way back to the 1970s uh, when I hadn't got the foggiest idea what to do um, when it came to leaving school. So I left school. I went to art college. Um, while I was at art college, I was working with various bands and musical collectives. And eventually, by default, I ended up in a recording studio. But at the same time as going to art college, the local museum was immediately across the road. And I'd always had a very, very long standing interest in uh, archaeology and history. It kind of runs in the family because uh, my dad was an archaeological digger before me. So uh, I was going to night school. I was learning archaeology. I was doing archaeological digs. You know, it took care of most of my summers. Uh, right up into the 1980s, did some amazing things, found some amazing things. Uh, but at the same time as doing that, as a day job, if you like, I also got picked up as a session drummer. And by sort of early 80s again, I had a record deal and I was uh, working in the music business. So as archaeology then slowly faded out in the mid 80s, I then went off and did uh, my stint, if you like, uh, in the music business. I was there for about 20 years, I think, in all, as a drummer. And to some extent as a producer, uh, because you learn as you go along. And I was in quite big demand. But then I had a back injury in the 1990s. So I decided I was going to retire. And the obvious thing to do was to go back to archaeology and history. So back I went. So the two have always been there side by side. Um, the back injury has actually not proven to be as much of an obstacle as I thought it was going to be. I ended up doing a TV series, writing loads and loads of books, and I'm back again working with bands again. Uh, so I'm in a band now at the moment, which I think has a combined age of about 240. <laughs> uh, we're all old guys now. Uh, but we still seem to be banging out the same kind of good old rock and roll we used to do. Uh, we're a little bit like Nirvana and um, Nickelback. We're sort of in that kind of bracket. Um, and it's actually all right. People are saying, wow, you know, this is really commercial. We've not heard anything like this for so long. And so you never know. You might hear a bit more of us <laughs> as time goes on. Uh, well, so 70 moment, and 80 year old drummers seem to do very well, at least. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually not the uh, I'm not the oldest member of the band. Uh, there are members of the band older than me. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not sixty till later this year. So uh, I'm I'm the, I'm the junior. I'm the new boy. <laughs> uh, Hamir lad, the young Turk. <laughs> That's the one. 
I suppose okay. it helps being it helps it helps being a drummer. I don't, I don't think I'll ever get to the age of Charlie Watts and still be hitting things. I think that's probably taking it a bit far. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at Ringo Starr. He's eighty-one. He's still pounding away. Well, yeah, he only uh, yeah Liverpool. It's only down the road from where I am here. Yeah, um, he's a Mersey cat, and I'm a Mersey cat because we both got signed in bands that were uh, associated with Liverpool. So uh, there's like this association about six hundred odd musicians that were involved in that. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't get to see him very often. <laughs> I'm not famous enough. Have you ever seen Ringo? I mean, never met him. Um. I think I met him at a presentation in Liverpool. Yeah, I think I did uh, at some point. I met, I met tons of famous people, but I'm really, really not the sort of person that name drops. Um, uh, you've got to sort of com- compartmentalise what you do as well, because uh, the community I'm part of now, which is writing history, archaeology, and steadily more into the paranormal and UFO investigation um, scene, is not the same as the music business that I was part of back then. So, uh, And also, I was on the other side of the fence, if you like I was behind the scenes more than anything else so uh, they didn't really matter who you bumped into because we were all just doing the same job anyway at the end of the day we're all just musicians Um, it's very hard I think for people that sort of put people on pedestals it's hard to understand uh, what happens when you you know you cross that I don't know star barrier or whatever you want to call it personality barrier um, which I crossed in the music business but now I'm just me I'm plain old me (laughs) In our next segment, by the way, we're going to talk more about the Crystal Skulls. And I'll begin that with a background of where we've talked about Crystal Skulls up to now in the Paracast, and then we'll get into your stuff. And as you'll realize, it's been a number of years since we've talked about Crystal Skulls. I don't pretend to be an expert on the subject, but this is something that we're going to really want to explore because we haven't done it in so many years on the show. And we also will be keeping Mark around for the After the Paracast podcast, part of the Paracast.plus. Mark Ali is the author of a very recent book from Philip Mantle's Flying Disc Press, Crystal Skulls and Human Heads, The Mystical History of Glass, and the Extinction of the World. Whoa! <laughs> With Gene and Tim, you're in the Paracast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. You 
USA Radio News with Kenneth Burns. President Biden from Warsaw pledging his support for Ukraine. He's also rallying the world to support the country who has been invaded by Russia. Let us resolve to put the strength of democracies into action to thwart the designs of, our, the designs of autocracy. Let us remember that the test of this moment is the test of all time. The speech comes as Russia is signaling that it is implementing a new strategy in its invasion of Ukraine. But special advisor at the White House National Security Council, Matthew Miller, tells ABC's Good Morning America that the Biden administration is not focused on Russia's words. We always wait to see what Russia actually does, not just take for granted what it actually says, because from the beginning of this conflict, they have never been honest about their aims. Miller adds that while the U.S. was warning of a Russia invasion, the Kremlin accused America of fear-mongering. This is USA Radio News. The Biden administration is calling for tougher sanctions against North Korea. Pyongyang test-fired its biggest intercontinental ballistic missile to date. Kim Jong-un says his country is preparing for what it called a long-standing confrontation with the United States. The call for sanctions happened during Friday's meeting of the U.N. Security Council. The Assembly of First Nations in Canada is expecting nothing less than a public apology from the Vatican. This after last year's discovery in British Columbia of about 200 unmarked and previously undocumented graves of children at what was Canada's largest indigenous residential school. A meeting between the First Nations and Vatican is set for next week. Indigenous children were forced to go to state-funded Christian schools through the 1970s. Tyree Sampson, who died on an amusement ride in Florida late Thursday, is being remembered. The 14-year-old fell to his death on the Orlando Freefall at Icon Park. The ride had only been in operation for a few months. You're listening to USA Radio News. I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who help people that have been injured or wronged. If you've been involved in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident or injured at work, you have rights and you may be entitled to money for your suffering. Don't accept an offer you get from an insurance company until you talk to a lawyer. And we represent some of the best personal injury lawyers you can find. Tough lawyers that will fight to win your case. And they're so good they stake their reputation on it by only getting paid if you win. So if you've been in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident or hurt on the job, find out today for free what kind of compensation you may be entitled to. Call the legal helpline right now. 800-509-4492. 800-509-4492. That's 800-509-4492. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Now, let's talk a little bit here about a subject we haven't dealt with very much on the Paracast over the years. Crystal Skulls. And let me refresh the memory of longtime listeners, okay? So on May 29th, 2011, Joshua Shapiro was here to talk about crystal skulls. We then had Stephen Mailer, who is an archaeologist, and we talked to him about crystal skulls, okay? And one or two other shows, but these are the ones most recent, 2011. Before we get on, Mark Ali, have you heard of these people? Yes, I have. And during the course of research, I've come across work by both of those 
authors and quite a lot of others. <laughs> yes. Okay, the problem has been with Crystal Skulls is the feeling that some people may be, shall we say, being something paranormal. Anytime we've gotten into a Crystal Skull discussion in the Paracast forums, it has gotten very contentious. Why should that be, Mark? Well, um, I think the problem with the Crystal Skulls, certainly since the 1970s, is that there are literally thousands of them, thousands and thousands of them, coming out of various workshops in different parts of the world, and it's become increasingly more difficult uh, to authenticate any of them as being old or ideally pre-Columbian. So it's, it's just a difficult issue. I think if you go far enough back and you start to look at some of the ones in museum collections, and there's only a very small number of them, um, I think there's just over a dozen of them. Uh, there's the British Museum one, there's the Mitchell Hedges one, there's um, a couple in France, uh, in Paris, and then one or two dotted around the rest of the world. I think if you start looking at the older ones, most of them can be certainly traced back to the early Victorian era early 19th century and a lot of them seem to have come through the same dealer in paris who was famous for selling south american goods south american um, antiquities and the thing with the thing with the dealer is that all the other things that he ever sold were always genuine so when they've analysed some of the crystal skulls from museums and they said, oh, well, you know, they show Victorian machine marks, Victorian tool marks and things like that, so they can't possibly be old. Uh, to balance up against that, you've got this thing that this particular dealer only sold real stuff. So if these things do turn out in inverted commas fake, then it's because they were manufactured in the South America, because the stone, we can identify the crystal they're made from, and most of them do originate from South America. So we can at least track that back. But that would make most of them no older than about 250 years, maybe 300 years tops. Worldwide, in an archaeological context, if you actually want to say how many crystal skulls can we actually nail down that have appeared in archaeological records, staggeringly, there are two there are only two. Excuse me, all the stuff we hear about crystal skulls and there are only two? Well, and it gets worse than that. One of them was only found in the 1990s and it sits in the palm of your hand. It's only a small quartz crystal skull. And that was found from an archaeological context um, belonging to the Aztecs, Mexico City. So that was found, it was identified, it went into the archaeological record, and it's very difficult to get any more information than that because they don't want to tell anybody where it was found. The other one, which is in the book, appears in the centre of the ball court at Coba. One of the ball courts that they excavated in the jungle city of Coba has this white quartz skull lying on its back, flat in the ball court, and it's staring up, staring up towards the sky. And that one is quite definitely an authentic quartz crystal skull. And it's there in the ball court where it was originally found. Apart from that, all the others, uh, there's a huge amount of debate over them and where they come from. Uh, the one that always impresses me is the Mitchell Hedges skull, which is the one with the jawbone that is separate, because they got that under an electron microscope and had a look for manufacturing marks on that one and didn't actually find any. So that would tell me that that was perhaps the one that is the oldest, 
because it's obviously been worn by being handled, etc. And it's also the one that took the most care and attention to produce. There's every reason to believe there should be more of them. Uh, but I spoke to an archaeologist um, who didn't really want to be identified, but over in South America. I've been over to South America. I've talked to him over there. Um, and basically what he said was with the, within the archaeological community in South America now, if they do find anything, relating to crystals and what have you it tends not to get reported or broadcast uh, he said if ever we did find any of, of the skulls or no actually his wording was different he said no if we had found any of the skulls they would be national treasures and we wouldn't really tell anybody about that uh, because they would be far too valuable and far too sought after um, and of course there's always the risk out there that the sites will be um, ransacked or you know interfered with by uh, looters and people uh, people like that so they, they tend to be quite secretive about it uh, but it just again i've i've got one i'd be colombian uh, the one i've got here back um, but it's about five to seven hundred years it's uh, it's not enormously old by archaeological standards uh, but that also appears in the book there's a photograph of that um, in there so uh, yeah there's, there's not that many of them. So question, I think that's probably why people doubted uh, where they sort of feature, where they figure in, in the greater uh, scheme of things, the human head. And crystal skulls is one of the sections of it. Uh, crystal is, uh, uh, which is the same as glass. So as soon as you start looking at the connections between the human head, humans, silica, the planet around us and how it's full of glass, which then leads you on to other things, you start to get some amazing connections coming out. Um, that's really where the second half of the book goes. Uh, the first half of the book is looking at prehistoric remains and different human species, which are starting to emerge from the discipline of DNA um, and the way that skulls and remains are found and the way they're dated. And it kind of goes down that avenue. Um, so really, if you like, it's a journey in time and space and science and uh, pseudoscience, as some people would call it. It's an exploration in all those matters uh, using the human head as the theme as the key to guide us through the exploration of the different issues that we run across. Um, that's it in essence. I hope that answered the question. <laughs> you know, I found that part of the book uh, dealing with human heads to be, you know, absolutely fascinating because there is an almost universal constant when it comes to the human head and with people's fascination with it. And I mean, fascination almost right from the beginning of, of recorded and, and pre-recorded history. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we had this thing um, in the 70s and 80s where everyone was technology and the knowledge of Atlantis and the wisdom of Atlantis. And wow, let's go and find something that's pre-flood. You know what? what's common to, you know, everywhere. Uh, the, the sort of ultimate outworking of that has ended up being things like, well, everywhere's got pyramids. You know, there's pyramids all over the planet. Um, everywhere seems to get metalworking at roughly the same time. Um, prehistoric technology generally seems to be uniform right across the board. Um, and the, 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 one of the other ones is the human head. This idea of the human head. Uh, if, if anyone wants to dash out and buy one of my other books, Revealing the Green Man, that looks at 
more or less the prehistoric view of the the head in terms of the foliate face, the green man, the power of nature, the spirit, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, that's probably a topic for a different show. But the, but that research then feeds into the crystal skulls and human heads. But like you say, it's there in every single culture, and it seems to be the same understanding and the same knowledge and the same information uniform across the board. So if somebody wanted to add to that, you know, I mean, standing stones and things like that, that, that all seem to be common everywhere all over the world in prehistory. Let's break here, Mark. More okay. to come with Mark Ollie, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Cole Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless, dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. Silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at Silverlungs.com. That's Silverlungs.com. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork, you know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big, bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-507-3137. 800-507-3137. 
800-507-3137. That's 800-507-3137. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana and vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk... They hear you. Hi, this is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So we continue here with our guest, Mark Ollie, our special guest co-host, Tim Swartz, talking about the book Crystal Skulls and Human Heads, and in our previous segment, Mark was acquainting us with some of the backstory of crystal skulls and skulls in general. Go ahead, please. I think I'd reached the point where I said that um, the skulls were, if you like, a thread. It's like the central theme of the book, because the idea that we are in a skull or a depiction of a skull, we're staring at our own mortality. You know, there's, there's kind of a set of eyes staring back. Whether it's a crystal skull or it's a fossilized skull from, you know, 400,000 BC or to a skull of someone who died only yesterday, it speaks volumes to us. Um, and I think that whole ethos is very deeply ingrained in us as a human species over centuries, absolutely centuries of having contact in one form or another with people who've passed on, you know, and they've died and they've gone to the other side. I think the crystal aspect, which is the silicon aspect, that's fascinating. That's something that's sort of moved forward with modern science. I was aware sort of a few years ago that things were beginning to pick up pace Over here in the UK, I think it's Southampton University, they develop a glass disc that you can write data into, you can laser write into it in 5D, five-dimensional storage space. It's 30 times the capacity of a normal CD. And essentially, because it's glass, it's silicon, it's written on a silicon disc. Now, for many years, there's always been this thing where people have said, oh, you know, if we could only get all of the right appropriate skulls together and they would all communicate with each other and it would change humanity and all this information would come out and we'd know so much, you know, and all this kind of talk came out as, as, as almost as a legend. It's become an urban legend. And most people are sort of sat they're thinking, well, hang on a minute, this this is a lump of rock. You know, how are we going to ever get anything out of a lump of rock? Well, it's not just a lump of rock. It's quartz crystal. It's quartz silica. And now we can read data from quartz silica. So it's not an urban legend anymore. It's more a case of we've got all of these pieces of quartz. We just don't know how to read them. Nobody's yet come up with a machine that can get any information out of them. But 
that doesn't mean it's not going to be possible. Uh, it could even be possible fairly soon. The technology that produced it was, I think, was uh, dated back to 2013. So it's obviously moved on a lot since then. And then there's lots of other little gems like that in the book, um, looking at the way things are moving. Genetics features in there because they've analysed quite a lot of ancient human remains now and discovered, for example, in Neanderthal DNA, which was in itself a fairly recent discovery. There's another mystery race in there called Denisovans, which is a different kind of DNA. So they started looking at that, and then they discovered that there's a couple of other different types of DNA that come from the east and another type of DNA that comes from the west. So already we're starting to rack up the species. And then you start to get these enormous elongated heads, the Paracas. Their DNA is coming back as different. You've also then got Egyptians and Huns and other people with these enormous heads that appear to be a different species again. And then all of a sudden, out in on an island somewhere, I think it was in the Philippines, they ended up getting these tiny little miniature people, which would they, they call them the hobbits. There's a um, British museum's got the skeleton uh, of one of them, a reproduction of one. They're just tiny. When they were fully mature adults, they were never more than about three foot six high. So you start looking at all this and, and the archaeologists and the scientists are now saying, well, it was a Lord of the Rings type world in the past. So in the same way in nature that you get giants of species and miniature versions of species, it appears that the same thing was true of humans. There was a huge variety of different humans with different DNA in the past. And actually what we've got now it's devolved and it's just the we are literally the leftovers you know there's a bit of um, neanderthal dna that's found its way into different populations but that's about it it does speak to things being vastly more diverse in the past there is a section at the end for ufo people and aliens and whatnot and it looks at that and it looks at where perhaps we all originated that's the end of the world bit you know it's it's like we we seem to have a repeating cycle of ending and starting again and ending and starting again yeah, that's kind of where the book goes. That, that's what it's all about. The one section of the book where you talked about the uh, uh, Paracas oh, yes. <laughs> of skulls, you, we'll go into you know some more uh, detail in it. But I just wanted – a couple of years ago on a different show, I interviewed a, a gentleman who was a, a, an expert on researching uh, giants and giant bones, especially the ones that had been uh, uh, dug up here in the United States in the 19th yep. century. But uh, he was saying that his research seemed to indicate that these giants uh, originated from Mesopotamia. Which yeah. I found your section interesting about the uh, uh, Paracas yeah. Yeah. skulls with the same originating location. I know. It's interesting because uh, if you start looking at giants as an issue, most people are familiar with the, um, the biblical giants, the David and Goliath scenario, which very clearly puts giants then in the Middle East because that's the whole of like the biblical lands, holy land, etc. over in that neck of the woods seems to have these stories covering giants. But then in the book, in, in fairness to the United States, I do put the Porksley Riverbed footprints, the giant prints that are found there. Um, and there's prints found at Porksley Riverbed alongside dinosaur prints as well. So it really upsets the apple cart, that whole um, area from the 1930s onwards is, is, is worth examining. Um, but the Paracas, I mean, the Paracas would have been tremendously tall people um, simply because the heads are three times the size of us. 
so a full grown Paracas adult with a you know a, a three times capacity uh, cranium uh, must have stood somewhere around seven foot, maybe going up to eight foot, just as a, a default height. You know, they they were very tall beings, but I I actually think that they're different species. Um, the Paracas died out relatively recently in historical terms because we're still finding hair and skin and teeth and DNA. And, you know, there's lots of remains of these strange shaped skulls coming out. Um, I know the preservation over there is uh, particularly good, but they seem to have only died out, say, in the last five, six hundred years. They've, they've disappeared. Giants, on the other hand, seem to have disappeared maybe about 1,600 years ago. So maybe the last of the giants kind of fizzled out, you know, in the BC period before we flipped into the AD period. They kind of just fizzled out. Uh, it could prove to be the same with the Paracas, actually. They they might have survived, hung on for, you know, maybe 100, 200 years longer before they fizzled out. But it seems to have been European diseases that took out the Paracas, um, tuberculosis, uh, flu, all sorts of things that we took over there to South America that, that, you know, the indigenous population had no resistance to. But like you say, generally speaking, it does appear that most of humanity has migrated from the east to the west. Um, but it depends if you want to go down another rabbit hole. It depends if you believe that um, uh, there is actually Noah's Ark out there um, on uh, on the Atlas Mountain Range, uh, not the Atlas Mountain Range. The um, oh, it's gone out Arab- my head. Arafat. Ararat. Yeah, Arab- Ararat Mountain Range. Sorry, yeah, where Mount Ararat is, uh, which is on the Turkish border. Um, you know, there's there's a brilliant ron wyatt was an australian archaeologist he did a brilliant expose of a an arc shaped structure that's actually out there uh, which i mean i've looked at all his evidence and what have you and it's it's pretty convincing that he's found what's left of noah's ark well if that's the case then uh, post flood every everything comes from that direction you know, everything scatters out from, you know, from from the east to the west. Uh, I suppose the question is, how long ago did that happen and how fast can people travel? You know, uh, what world do we live in now? I try and get into that in the book a little bit. I try and cover it in, in Crystal Skulls. I look at time periods and dating methods. Uh, they're not as secure as people think. Um, and it's very difficult to handle the very large numbers uh, you know, people talk about, you know, four, five, six hundred thousand BC. They talk about, you know, the Earth's been there for X number of million years, etc. These are these are just enormously large numbers. So it's very hard for the general reader to to comprehend those kind of figures. I think we're on fairly secure dating going back maybe about 40 or 50,000 years. After that, it starts to get quite fluid. So, uh, yeah, that's that's something I deal with in Crystal Skulls. So I'm not really sure where the flood falls. Um. Once again, our very, very special guest from the UK is Mark Ollie. He is author of a book entitled Crystal Skulls and Human Heads, The Mystical History of Glass and the Extinction of the World. And it's published by Flying Disc Press, which is, of course, the Philip Mantle Publishing Company. And once again, he gives us a really incredible array of really fine books more with crystal skulls and mark and gene and tim you're in the paracast you 
are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, stimulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com. That's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com. Or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. I think that voice came to Tim Swartz because he was going back through time to see the origins (laughs) of the Crystal Skulls. Now, for those who follow pop culture, it's interesting here where Crystal Skulls or any kind of crystalline thing is brought to bear like if you look at the superman legend krypton used these little crystals so for example when he throws the crystalline object he got from his spaceship into the ground in the far north it builds his fortress of solitude I remember watching that at the cinema. <laughs> that was in the Superman the movie. It was indeed. It was also repeated in the TV show Superman and Lois. I prefer the movie original. Good old Christopher Reeve. I, re- I remember that. Well, the guy uh, who's playing him now, Tyler Hecklin on the Superman and Lois TV show, he's really good because second to Christopher Reeve, he captures the dorky nature of Clark Kent. Excellent. Excellent. But it doesn't go over the top like Reeve. I think some of the stuff in the Christopher Reeve movies, not because of him, but because they were making comic book movies, were just way over the top and not very realistic. Uh, Especially now, if you look at the first 10, 15 minutes of Superman 3, 
It plays yeah. like a stupid comedy movie. Anyway, let's get back to Skulls. That's more sensible. Okay. It, it's interesting because I, I, I could say a bit more about the, the crystal side of things, the, the silicon side of things. Because the more I kind of plowed into that context of the book, I discovered that, uh, you know, we're carbon life forms living in a silicon world. Silicon's in absolutely everything. You know, it's in windows. It's in the computer in terms of microchips. It's in sand. It's in our buildings. You know, it's in quartz. It's in flint. It's, it's absolutely everywhere. There's just tons and tons of silica. It does appear to have been something that's solidified out of a liquid. So maybe when the world was made, it was one of the principal building blocks right at the very beginning. It just doesn't form complex molecular chains in the same way that carbon does. So as a life form, we were able to become more complex. But we are essentially uh, living in a silicon world. And I thought, well, how does that relate to us as human beings? So I started looking at, you know, what, what does silica do for us? You know, is there any silica in, in the human body? Uh, the interesting thing I found, and this is why I say there's some connections in the book. They're sort of little wow moments. Uh, the connection I found is that when a baby is developing, if there's a deficiency of silica, the baby is affected in the area of the brain. So the brain doesn't form properly if there's no silica. And I thought, well, that's amazing because that means we need the silica. We need, if you like, uh, uh, the liquid form of quartz, the chemical form of quartz. We need that to develop our brains. So that would explain why they chose to make crystal skulls because it's the carrier for the brain. But the question then that's running through my mind is how on earth did they know? How, how on earth did they find that out, you know, back in, in prehistoric times? Absolutely incredible. I'll give you another little ooh moment based around silica as well. For a long time, they've been modelling the planet's core, the Earth's core, to try and find out what's going on there. And most of the time, they've tried iron and metal-based cores and things like that. And uh, there's a thing called Olsen's paradox, which means when you model the planet, if it doesn't work, then you've fallen into Olsen's paradox because it doesn't work. It's not functioning. It turns out that the solution to Olsen's paradox is if you make the Earth's core quartz silica, then everything works. The gravity works. The magnetic field works. The electrical fields work. Everything works. And more specifically, they think it could very well be amethyst, which is a, a very chemically specific form of, of quartz silica. And it solves the paradox. So we are quite literally spinning through space on a crystal ball. That's what we are. We are a, a crystal world, a crystal planet, if you like. Absolutely incredible. Again, how did they know? How did they understand that something like that was, was a priority in the world in which we live? You know, they, they seem to have, have elevated quartz crystal and elevated that, that whole silica thing to that level. Um, you know, it's only recently we discovered that the electrical discharge that you get from quartz, that, that's what's in um, wristwatches. If you, if you pressurize quartz, then it, it pushes back with a pulse. And it's got so many qualities to it. You can photograph it on Curlian photography. You can see the energy, the power, the electrical field coming out of it. Uh, and it is almost like a living crystal. I think it was tested actually said that the crystals are essentially a living thing, you know, uh, very much in the way that the planet 
is a living thing. So I kind of touch on that. It's getting really deep. It's getting really complicated. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where the book leaves things open, if you like, for people to push further into that. Uh, but that's where I'd be interested perhaps in the future to hear what people think about where that takes us. But there is that underlying spiritual dimension to the book, uh, which is still there to be explored further, I think. I know there have been uh, uh, some researchers who have mapped out the Earth's, you know, like uh, uh, magnetic uh, lines and uh, ley lines in an attempt to see if the Earth is actually a, a giant crystal. And, uh, you know, some of the indications seem to show that uh, at least in its early formative years you know uh that uh, that may have been the case there's there's a lot of legends around the world that the um that the planet itself came out of some form of fluid where it's solidified there's a lot of um it, it's almost uh, the egyptians had this uh, bed of reeds rising up out of, of the water and uh, producing dry land and becoming solid there's the biblical idea that you know the the planet was without form and void and then all of a sudden out of the fluid we get all the solids and we get everything happening um, and it seems to be uh, that a lot of the people that go uh, and, and examine planets beyond this world and look at things that are forming it seems to be a process almost like things solidify from liquid into solid which again points in the direction of the earth solidifying um, it, as, a, as a form of a crystal and as i said it when you computer model it as as quartz as amethyst then it, it works it's one of the only things you can put in there that will actually make it a functioning planet. So it's not just a theory now. It's starting to be accepted as science. I was going to let you have the chance to ask your question, Gene. Sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead, Tim. Uh, well, um, going back to uh, the idea that you had where they are now using um, – like crystal discs uh, to to hold information. I mean, I I remember, especially back in the seventies and early eighties, when the uh, Mitchell Hedges skull uh, was really getting a lot of uh, uh, attention. That there were several psychics who examined it and you know and of course i mean you know there are people who will just you know, believe or disbelieve in you know uh, psychic abilities but uh, most of them came away with the impression that the skull was actually uh holding a vast amount of information but they could only get you know like uh, flashes of it it's um, yeah, there, there, there is there is a, an element of science behind that because I go into detail in the book about how um, we are essentially as individual human beings very much a reflection of all that we find in the world around us, which we have in common with quartz, with crystal, um, with silica. We have that sort of embodiment, if you like, of, of different properties. So if we as electrical 
humans as electrical human beings picked up an enormous lump of quartz which is again in itself an electrical generator if we're sensitive enough we should be able to feel something i can feel a break coming on right now yeah it will disappear for a few minutes perhaps except for listeners of the paracast plus with mark gene and tim you're in the paracast Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. According to the World Gold Council, while demand for gold is surging, 72% of people reply they lack the necessary know-how to do so. Hi, my name's Adam Barada, owner of Advantage Gold, hands down the highest rated gold dealer in the country. The reason? We lead with education. We've taught millions of investors how to buy gold safely and securely, and our in-depth gold guide explains everything you need to know. From what type of metals to consider, if an IRA or cash transaction is best, and how you can be certain that the gold you're buying is authentic, certified, and real. Call 800-900-8000 now and get our number one rated first-time gold buyer's kit. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Get the information you need to secure your future. Call 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000 today. GCN's policy is open forum avoiding censorship. Defense costs for words spoken outside of our control supersede the ability to deliver voices to this important talk platform. The First Amendment is the foundation of our core values. Cancel culture is silencing voices regardless of perspective. Freedom to speak is in the balance. Support the legitimacy of speech itself. Consider donating to SaveGCN.com. That's SaveGCN.com. Airlines have just reduced their prices even more. Book 30 days in advance and save big. Want the absolute lowest prices on your airline tickets? Then call the low-cost airlines travel hotline right now. For prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. The only way to access our low rates and save up to 70% is to call. Save hundreds on your vacation tickets by calling right now. You can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your air. Airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 802-341-4535. 802-341-4535. 
802-341-4535. That's 802-341-4535. Cancer categorizes over 100 diseases. Though we do not diagnose, treat, or cure cancer, GCN team is offering the Clemson University study where there was up to a 95% reduction in cancerous cells when exposed to a plant-derived mineral supplement. If you or a loved one are searching for answers to this horrifying disease, come to GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. We'll email you a copy for free. That's 877-878-4203. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Now, using crystals and stuff for so many properties, it brings to mind a guy named Richard Shaver. Ever hear of him, Mark? Yeah, I do. I recognize that name. And he had something called rock books. Yes. And I assume the rocks had some kind of quartz crystal in them. Almost every rock on planet Earth will have some silica quality of some kind. It's just the quantity dictates how crystalline the end result is. With his rock book system, you had to use a special array of lenses and such to be able to see something. Mm. And we did see the pictures that he sent us. And, you know, we look, and this is a giant Rorsatch test, right? You'll see whatever you think you can see. Then again, we started looking at it. And after a while, we being me in Geneva, we started looking at this. And after a while, we started to see things. Now, maybe it was our imagination. This is, what, 50 years ago? But it is something important that everyone's going to the same spectrum here. Yeah, It all begins with quartz. Yes. Oh, totally. Without any doubt at all. That's that's the mystical history of glass. It's it's almost like for tens of thousands of years in the past, people knew and they appreciated, respected and understood the part that quartz silica played in day to day existence. But then as we have pulled away, if you like, from the natural world and the natural environment through industrialization and the industrial revolution over the last two or three hundred years, we've lost it. As a writer, I'm frequently stumbling across stuff in the past that we just seem to have completely missed. We lost the meaning of the green man. We've lost the meaning of a lot of the biblical stuff and the stuff from Babylon and all different parts of the world. And a lot of the Chinese mystical stuff has has started to disappear. And quartz silica, it's just vanished. You know, we don't know what to do with stone circles or how they work. You know, one day, hopefully, somebody somewhere will find that strange missing, you know, library that's hidden in Egypt somewhere. And, uh, you know, the record, as I call them, the Akashic records. But that just annoys me because physically, physically, we just need to find what happened to the information that was in that library at Alexandria. I think it would blow our minds. It would absolutely dynamite our world to know what was known back then and what was lost that we're we're now struggling with, you know? Well, there were legends that we had in advanced civilization. Yes. Many, many thousands of years ago. Of course, that gets back to the Shaver. I remember Lemuria, but Atlantis Lemuria, that some cataclysm caused the end of these civilizations. And you look at that today. 
And imagine that what we have today was destroyed somehow, and, you know, we're getting close. Maybe we can do that. We destroy everything. If you came by 5,000 years from now from another planet to look at Earth or 10,000 or more, how much would you see of our civilization? Well, uh, going back to silicon microchips, you know, one gigantic solar flare lasts for 24 hours so that the world rotates. And a lot of what we've got that we now refer to as data would just simply be destroyed. We just lose stuff overnight. I mean, with things like it's James Churchwood is the most famous guy for Lemuria. And uh, when he put his books out and, and challenged the overall Atlantis theme, I mean, said, so, well, you know, Atlantis is not the only one. There's, there's probably been several. Everybody sort of went, ah, well, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't happen. Now there's a slightly different view because people who are into geology are looking at this uh, layer now of uh, comet and meteorite debris that seems to have basically taken out the dinosaurs. So that's a massive impact. And then when we've now got Google Earth through the joys of satellite, we suddenly realize the entire of the Gulf of Mexico is an impact crater. So everyone's like, wow, something did hit the Earth, and, and it did wipe a lot of stuff out. So while we're still reeling from the shock of that, then, you know, the Antarctic Geological Survey comes back, having scanned all the ice down there, and they say, hey, you think that crater's big? You want to see the size of the one that's under Antarctica? Apparently that's even bigger. It's an enormous impact crater. So you've got two really big catastrophic events there that have happened way, way, way back in the past that could very easily have taken down Atlantis, Lemuria and others, you know, Lernes, whatever. All these different lands could have all been submerged and then go back even further. You've got dinosaurs. They've gone, you know, species gone. Plants, animals, people, gone. Things turned to stone. We're just beginning to understand and appreciate the mechanisms that, that cause that, which is why at the end of the title I put, you know, this sit line and the end of the world. You know, nothing lasts forever. Nothing's immortal. So the book also challenges us, if you like, to look into the eyes of the skulls and face death. Everything has an end, and that's not a bad thing. That's the way the world's wired. You know, that is nature. That is the world in which we live in. And we're never going to switch the genetic clock off, I don't think, to the extent that we're going to live forever. That's, that's never going to happen because things just wear out. You know, sooner or later, you're going to wear out. You might buy extra time, but you're still going to wear out. Yeah, interesting. So uh, going back to, uh, to the sunken lands and Atlantis and all that, we have lost so much, so much stuff in the past. I think there's probably still hints of it out there because, like I say, I stumble across things like that on a fairly regular basis um, looking at the past. Yeah, and there's quite a lot of it, more, more, I think, than people think. For example, what else is out there that maybe we don't <sighs> suspect as being a relic of this sort? Well, I don't even know where to start with that. Um, there's, there's a couple of archaeological sites that appear to be nuclear blasts where uh, the desert sand and the villages or whatever have been turned to glass and there are skeletons of people in, in poses that would indicate they were blasted flat to the floor. We've got things like the Antikythera mechanism, which uh, has now been decoded and x-rayed, found on a Greek shipwreck from about sort of 250 AD. And it turns out to be a supercomputer that calculates the movement of the stars and planets absolutely perfectly for centuries in either direction. Nobody even knows 
knows where that came from. There's, there is a precedent for it in some of the Greek designers and philosophers. But uh, wow, what, what an amazing object. Uh, and then you've got a whole string of parts. You know, you've got gold chains, cooking pots and skulls found in coal. You know, you've got um, there's a hammer that's been found embedded in rock that's tens of thousands of years old. Uh, every so often we come up with bits of vases and screw threads and all sorts of crazy wacky stuff that parts is what the archaeologists call it. And it just turns up where you really don't expect it to turn up. The past must have been fantastically diverse. They must have known what they were doing. You know, did the Egyptians have aeroplanes and light bulbs? And, you know, there's the Baghdad battery that generates electricity. And, you know, what the heck are pyramids for? And, you know, how did they move the blocks? You know, halfway up Baalbek, there's a 300-ton block, you know, just kind of sat there in the middle of a wall. How on earth did that get up there? You know, how were they moving these things? These are all technological and scientific questions that at the moment we actually don't have the answer for. Part of it also is the ego involved of a scientist. How can somebody who lived 20,000 years ago, whatever it is, be as advanced or more advanced than we were? That's not possible. We well, are a number was, one numeral uno in terms of yeah. scientific advancement. That was my reason at the start of the book for, to some extent, savaging the fallout, if you like, from the theory of evolution. We've got uh, Mark and Gene and Tim, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions, silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. USA Radio News with Kenneth Burns. The president from Poland trying to rally global support for Ukraine. We stand with you. Period. In a speech that lasted about a half hour, the president blasted his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin. He says the Kremlin's invasion of Ukraine caused some other things to happen that Putin did not expect. Rather than breaking Ukrainian resolve, Russia's brutal tactics have strengthened the resolve. Rather than driving NATO apart, the West is now stronger and more united than it has ever been. Russia not conquering Ukraine as swiftly as Putin expected. It's signaling a change in strategy, but the Biden administration says they are going to watch what the Kremlin does as opposed to what they say. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban seeking his country's neutrality in the war in Ukraine, causing frustration and outrage instead, including from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. This is USA Radio News. The U.S. called for tougher sanctions on North Korea after Pyongyang test-fired its biggest intercontinental ballistic missile to date. 
Kim Jong-un vowed to expand his country's, quote, nuclear war deterrent while preparing for what it called a long-standing confrontation with the United States. At a U.N. Security Council meeting Friday, Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield said the U.S. would propose a resolution to update and strengthen sanctions. Members of Canada's indigenous population and the Vatican are set to meet next week. The Assembly of First Nations expecting a public apology from the Vatican after last year's discovery in British Columbia of about 200 unmarked and previously undocumented graves of children at what was Canada's largest indigenous residential school. More than 150,000 indigenous children were forced to attend government-funded Christian schools from the 19th century through the 1970s. Chinese authorities say none of the 132 people aboarded China Eastern flight that crashed last week survived. You're listening to USA Radio News. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Screenwriter, producer, you're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. They're obviously, based on what you're saying, Mark Olley, author of Crystal Skulls and Human Heads, artifacts out there that we're not readily recognizing as evidence of this one or more past civilizations. So? Uh, yes, there are quite a lot of them. If you only accept the idea that things are getting better so that's evolving so you know if we're moving forward then you would be inclined to think that advanced technology from the past and advanced knowledge from the past uh, perhaps didn't exist or wasn't what we were seeing it as on the other hand the, the book proposes devolution which is the natural process of things happening and then decaying which we see on a small scale but it also appears to be happening on a bigger scale over time that would make perfect sense you know when the library at alexandria was burnt i mean it was burnt three times by three successive different invaders when that was burnt we lost a lot of information but that's what happens in nature things do devolve very rarely does anything actually move into something of its higher form we think we're advancing and yes we are constantly fighting against the decay that we find in everything and we do occasionally make advancements you know we've we've done a tremendous amount at the end of the industrial revolution which is where we are now Uh, we're into the scientific age but at the same time don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, there's an awful lot of stuff in the past that even with all our technology and our science and everything else, we just can't explain. You know, there's no easy way to to just write it off, you know. And again, 
I think we were going to perhaps recap a little bit on the Paracas, the guys with the enormous skulls. If these guys are walking around with skulls that are three times the capacity of, of our heads, that means they have brains that are three times the capacity of our brains. What on earth could these guys do? You know, get a dozen of those guys in a room and they're all walking supercomputers. Yes, they're going to see the world in a completely different way and they're going to make decisions that are not like our decisions, but the capacity for what they could do would be enormous. You know, we'd just look like hamsters. You know, we'd look like guinea pigs in comparison to what they were capable of doing. But they're not with us anymore. You know, they're gone. So uh, when you look at it that way, perhaps in prehistory with those kind of guys wandering around, you know, some of the things we see as impossible um, were not quite so impossible. You know, the the book does make that as a point. Uh, it does say that when you start to appreciate what humans were capable of back then, some of these mysteries are not as mysterious. We still don't know how they did it or how they worked things out. But, you know, we're getting there. I think we're getting there. Uh, we just have to get rid of this idea that everything is getting better because it just isn't. You know, we need to, like you say, get rid of the ego, get rid of the pride and start taking evidence on face value and running with it, beginning to, you know, it's a, it's a new 21st century way of doing things. You know, let's just have a look at it and see what we can do with it. Speaking of the uh, uh, Paracas skulls, now the the skeptics say that there's nothing unusual about them; that they've just been oh boarded. I can't. There's another term that goes in front Cr of it. Cradle boarding. Cradle boarded. Right. Right. Yeah. To 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 flatten and elongate the skulls. However. There's a lot more skull there, you know, with with those guys than with a normal human skull. I think in the book, I'm the first person to actually nail down the fact that there are two. There are definitely two forms of elongated crania. There's definitely the natural form, the genetic form, GEC, I call it, genetically elongated crania. And then there's actually humans trying to copy that which is the if you like the cradle boarded version the stretched version we know that the actual natural genetic larger crania are impossible to reproduce very often the the bones at the top of the skull are all one there's no um, cracks or sutures in there the little hole at the bottom of the skull i'm going to try and avoid technical language here is further back and smaller in the larger heads and that has to be genetic um, and there's lots of other little clues in there as well i mean we have some of the genetic material from uh, some of the natural paracas and it, it, it dna wise it's not the same as us they are a definite distinct different species and then also there are newborn babies in some of the cemeteries have very very recently been born with giant heads you know the heads are there from the beginning there's no way that there would have been any time at all you can't cradle board a baby in the womb to make the head bigger and things like that really just you know they, they blow the idea that they're all you know artificially done completely out of the water they are a distinct species but that doesn't rule out the fact that they must have had qualities people wanted to copy somebody wanted to increase the size of ordinary crania to enable those people to be able to do whatever it was or be whatever they were that these guys with the big heads were they had some qualities there that, that 
that we really wanted to copy. Um, I mean, it still goes on today, unofficially in South America. They are still cradle boarding. I would love to do an investigation into what happens when you, you know, triple the size of the human brain and which bits get bigger. And I hint at it in the book and I try and sort of, you know, make some sense out of it. But that, again, is another area that really would uh, warrant serious investigation. You know, the scientific community does need to turn its eyes towards the Paracas and have a look at what that means for us. Uh, what that would mean for them as a race and for us now as human beings. You know, what was it we lost with the Paracas and others? Well, obviously cases of so-called alien abduction Mm. involved occasionally creatures with large heads and very spindly bodies. So isn't that following the same kind of concept? Well, yes, it is. Um, I think, again, one of the lesser lesser trod roads if you like lesser uh, considered theories is that if people were so advanced in the past hypothetically perhaps more advanced than us maybe at some point you know one of these guys with a brain that's you know capable of doing the work of three einsteins all joined together you know one of these guys probably had the capacity to crack time and space And what I'm looking at when I'm looking at things like aliens, abductions, uh, the identity of uh, the creatures that are there in these ships that are appearing all the time, the sort of one theory that ticks all the boxes for me is the idea that they have somehow managed to crack time as a problem. They're not limited by time. Time is something that a lot of the abductees say doesn't seem to exist. You know, there's a lot of confusion over time and lost time when things happen, when people have contact with these uh, alien beings. So I'm coming around to the opinion that perhaps they are versions, variations, species of us, either from the past that have cracked time travel from the past or from our future. And they've cracked time travel there. And for them, you know, past, present and future doesn't really exist. For them, it's not linear time, which is what we experience. For them, they can sort of jump around, uh, which would neatly explain why th- what we're seeing is is something that does, to some extent, resemble perhaps how the Paracas looked and other species. And yet, at the same time, all these other phenomena, the technology, the problems with time, what they're up to, uh, you know, that kind of fits that theory too. Possibly they're coming here to not maybe maybe not so much to see what's going on in terms of how what we're doing now affects affects them i think maybe they're coming here now to see where planet earth has ended up i'm more inclined to think that they're from some time in the distant past and they're coming forward in their time to see where the planet eventually finishes up so again that's another hint with the uh, you know the end of the world slip in there in, in the subtitle of the book maybe they are actually coming to our time now in increasingly greater numbers um, because something is going to happen at some point and they just want to see what that something is going to be they want to see where we end up um, well, hopefully we end up in a position where we are still here a few years from now to talk about it but then all the <laughs> sci-fi tropes about the early 21st century and some kind of armageddon type deal mm. I have some other ideas I want to bring to your attention, Mark, and get your reaction to in our next segment with Gene and Mark and Tim. You're in the Paracast.
for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. According to the World Gold Council, while demand for gold is surging, 72% of people reply they lack the necessary know-how to do so. Hi, my name's Adam Barada, owner of Advantage Gold, hands down the highest rated gold dealer in the country. The reason? We lead with education. We've taught millions of investors how to buy gold safely and securely, and our in-depth gold guide explains everything you need to know. From what type of metals to consider, if an IRA or cash transaction is best, and how you can be certain that the gold you're buying is authentic, certified, and real. Call 800-900-8000 now and get our number one rated first-time gold buyer's kit. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Get the information you need to secure your future. Call 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000 today. stock market have you nervous? With geopolitical conflict and inflation concerns, it's virtually impossible to guess what will happen next. But with Vantage Point, you don't have to. Learn to trade with artificial intelligence. Text the word DEMO to 813813 and discover how to predict stock market trends up to three days ahead with incredible accuracy. Whether you trade stocks, options, forex, futures, or crypto, Vantage Point's patented artificial intelligence can give you a massive edge. Text DEMO to 813 813 to get what you need to stay ahead of the markets and find big moves before they happen. Don't wait. Text DEMO to 813-813. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. By texting DEMO, you agree to the terms available at vantagepointsoftware.com slash terms and consent to receive calls and text using automated technology that offers or info by or on behalf of VantagePoint. Your consent is not a condition to purchase and can be revoked at any time. Message and data rates may apply. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system, 
Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nanocolloidal silver now at ImmuneSupportNow.com. That's ImmuneSupportNow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. It's Grant Cameron from PresidentialUFO.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So Mark Ali, author of Crystal Skulls and Human Heads, talking about, well, maybe there's time travelers involved in some of this phenomena. Maybe they're gathering around to see where humankind takes itself. Like that. Did you ever see a movie called Arrival, Mark? Yes, I did. I did see that. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, as I recall, it's quite an old movie. I know the book is quite an old movie, uh, quite an old book. That's before Close Encounters as well, isn't it? It's quite an early one. Well, Arrival, um, the version I'm talking about, it stars Amy Adams as a linguist. Yes. And she's called upon to ah, manage yes. this. Jodie Foster. Excuse me? Jodie Foster. It's Jodie Foster, isn't it? No, no, no. That's Contact. Ah. Oh, okay, Arrival is a more recent film. And oh, it depicts this linguist trying to talk to these multi-limbed alien beings called heptopods. Okay? It's a 2016 okay. movie, so it's six years ago. No, it's passed me by. I'm, I'm, I'm not current. <laughs> but what okay. it involves is she's trying to communicate with these alien beings who are here to give some kind of message. And it ends up that they use time as a method of talking or communicating. Ah, it's, it's coming back to me now because I remember seeing her. She's in a corridor and the aliens are in a cloudy, almost like a cloudy tank in front of her. And they produce, uh, they're like octopus. They produce ink pictures and she has to decode the ink pictures. So I think I have seen that movie, yeah. Well, again, these beings exist outside of time. Evidently. Yes. Yes, they do. Very much so in that movie. It's, it's an interesting idea. And it's very recent as well. I've actually forgotten about that movie. That that puts the book very firmly in in the 21st century line of thought. But yes, they do exist outside time. Uh, the thing with the movie that, that I do recall though is that they didn't really they didn't really major on the fact that they exist outside time because uh, obviously it's set in our dimension. So the movie is linear and the beings do appear uh, in set piece parts in the film, um, and they only tell you that beyond the barrier where they exist, there is no time. But that doesn't really affect the plot, as I recall. Well, it affects the plot by the conveyance of the message, which covers periods of our time. Yes. You know, if if ever the day comes when somebody can sit down with with one of these uh, aliens and inverted commas, uh, the greys or whatever, if somebody can sit down and communicate... I think they'd have a handle on our future as well as our past. I think that there has been human beings that have been, you know, capable in past ages of quite accurately foreseeing what's coming. 
So, uh, you know, if it's there in our makeup, then I would think it may be there in, also in their makeup, but perhaps in exaggerated form. What bothered me about this movie is if these creatures are so highly advanced, why can't they devise a way to communicate with us without having to go through all this nonsense? It's like we yeah, have to go through all this pain to figure out what they want. And if they're so smart, they can tell us in our yeah. language. We learn other languages. So maybe a race that's capable of traveling through the stars, untold decades, hundreds of years, thousands of years ahead of us. They could talk to us in a way that makes sense. Uh, you would have thought so, but that would have spoiled the plot of the film. Sure, but I'm just saying. <laughs> you've, you've got to remember it's only a movie. Um, you know, they have a universal translator like Star Trek. Exactly, exactly. There's a, but there's a whole bucket of really difficult topics that way goes if you go down that avenue. Uh, you know, why didn't they change something in the past so that we could understand them or change something in the future? Or, you know, uh, why don't they just, like you say, just write it in plain English or whatever? Or, you know, there, there's, there's so many different little rabbit holes you can go off down. Uh, yes, if, if you, you can speak Klingon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, in the movie, that's actually what they were doing. I mean, they knew that sometime in the future, the human race was going to help them in some kind of cataclysmic event. So that's why they appeared when they did in order to establish that hard part, that communications with humans, knowing that we would be beneficial to them in the future. But you also have to consider, if you're dealing with a race whose existence really is outside of time as we know it, it would be extremely difficult to deal with a species who does live in linear time. I think you're there into the, uh, you know, the problem with paradoxes and anomalies where, you know, if if uh, somebody does have a handle on how time and space works, to what extent are they allowed, are they permitted to interfere with linear time? And that is an enormous issue, absolutely enormous. And a lot of science fiction movies over decades have, have you know, struggled with the idea that, well, why don't they just go back in time and change it? You know, hmm. uh, Back to the Future is the most famous one. That's all over the place. One, two and three, all the things they do in those movies. But going back to sort of, uh, if you like, um, ground rules that the ancients must have understood, the idea of not interfering with time. Uh, must be an absolute you know it's one of those things you just don't do as soon as you start interfering with time if you go back and alter something and you know change it and it ends up being this that, and that i think that actually there is built into the universe a sort of uh, fail safe that prevents that from happening either that or uh, you know we we really need to get an understanding of how that works as part of solving the problem of time travel. So if anybody, you know, has, has managed to solve the problem of time travel, the next thing they need to solve is what the ground rules are. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, non-intervention, if you like, uh, not being able to change things uh, would have to be a part of that. You know, we live here at a time where there are sci-fi comic book tropes about traveling through time and inevitably and this is the back to the future scenario inevitably yeah. you change something in the past and yeah. there's a cascade of events that 
changes something in the future. So yeah, Marty McFly is disappearing rapidly until he gets his parents <laughs> or parents to be to become friendly with one another, to yeah. date one another and marry one another. But even then, after fixing the past, he comes back to the present and things are different. Yes, that that is essentially that would be the paradox that you would have to somehow try to avoid. Um, otherwise, you could invent a time machine and then go back in time and uninvent it so that it no longer existed and you couldn't time travel anymore. So you'd have to be very careful about what you did in linear time. Well, in w of course, the time machine, the H.G. Wells novel, mm. they got away with it because they went to the future. So ah, the time traveler, yeah. who, by the way, is not named in the book. I mean, in yeah. certain TV shows, he's been H.G. Wells. Or he was named George in the movie with Rod Taylor as the traveler. Yeah. But yeah. in the novel, the guy isn't named, but he goes to the future and therefore doesn't have to deal with this time paradox. And it's not an uncommon theory since we're into it that UFOs are being piloted by time travelers from the future, but then we have all those complications to deal with. If you change something in the past, does that become part or is that already part of what the future would be? In other words, you can't change anything in the past you were not meant to change. Or it, does it open up a new dimension? So reality one is what it was. Reality two is what you changed. Um, I don't quite know how it would work in terms of the multiverse, but um, certainly time travel, uh, if what I'm suggesting, which is, you know, people in the distant past had somehow managed to solve it and they were now coming forward to us, that wouldn't create a paradox because, as you say, they're still making leaps in the correct direction in terms of, of where we're going. So, you know, things like the crash at Roswell or whatever, which happened in our 1940s, if that was a machine from the very distant past coming forward, then it would only affect time from the 1940s onwards. So it's only affecting forward time. Uh, and again, if we ended up with, I don't know, some kind of enormous asteroid impact or something like the, like the dinosaur extinction event, then maybe some of these time travelers are thinking at the moment, well, you know, I don't really care. It doesn't really matter if, if we upset the apple cart or whatever, because what we're doing now is building the foundation for whatever's coming next for the, the next phase of the planet's survival, development, and, you know, et cetera. So there are a number of different ways of looking at it, thinking... You know, we maybe, should look at this right now. Yeah. Let's go ahead in time a few minutes with Mark, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. 
It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how did it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. (laughs) I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. A quick trip through time and space. Mark Olley, we're talking now about not just crystal skulls and human heads, but the implications of traveling through time. And, well, okay, so if UFOs are time travelers, and if Roswell really involved a spaceship crashing, and, of course, there are many debates about that, we can wonder what kind of individuals they were. But that takes us back to the Europe's Roswell, mm. which we didn't really talk about too much. And maybe we should talk about that a little bit before we jump back into human heads and such more. And the big thing here, of course, is that America's Roswell, the original Roswell, is a cultural icon in the sense of the story. It doesn't matter that, well... Perhaps there are parts of the story that aren't quite correct. Maybe there were no alien bodies. Maybe it was a test aircraft or a test balloon. Lots of possibilities for Roswell because we don't have solid wreckage. And the first memories of what happened at Roswell emerged over 30 years after the event, other than the initial stories, of course, about we got something, it's a flying disc. No, it's a balloon. And then it disappeared for 30 years until Stanton Friedman was one of the people who discovered it. But with Europe's Roswell, obviously a far more recent event, let's look at this because of what was recovered. Can we say for certain we can prove it now? Well, there's, there's, there's definitely parallels. I mean, I, I would say about the American Roswell that very recently they took a lot of um, interview footage that was taken of people who were there or people associated with the people who were there. And there's a new system, a uh, computer system, which analyzes uh, people's facial movements and body language and vo- voice, etc. It's a very advanced computer system that will tell you in principle whether it thinks they're 
lying or whether they're telling the truth. Um, I watched quite a few episodes of the series because they made a series on it. And um, overall, most of the original witnesses, most of the people originally involved with with people at the time of the crash came back, generally speaking, as, as telling the truth. And a lot of the officials and people connected to the government actually came back as not telling the truth. Mm. So um, it's beginning to look increasingly again like Roswell had an awful lot of genuine motivation to it. You know, there was there wasn't just smoke. There was a lot of fire as well with that. Um, and I do know going back to the 1990s, National Geographic sent an archaeological team out there who analysed the desert sands and found anomalies, uh, melted metal and various other bits and bobs on a microscopic level still out there in the desert sands. So something definitely came down. There's no doubt about that. And that sort of lays the foundation then, if you like, for what happened over here. Because on a night in January, I think it probably around about the 19th, 20th of January, um, 1983, something flew over the farm in Clanilla in Aberystwyth in mid Wales um, and it hit trees. It ploughed through the top of a copse of trees and it cut a swathe through the top of the branches about 25 foot wide. So you're essentially looking at something there that, that's, you know, 25 foot wide, going at high speed, goes through all these branches what we did know about the material that was recovered is that it's quite hard to break it or damage it if you attack it with something with a lot of force because it pushes back it has the ability to push back and it retains its shape you can stamp on it hit it with a hammer whatever and it, it bounces back to its original shape however if you want to break it if you get hold of it with a pair of pliers and very gently work it like a piece of eggshell if you just try and snap it without using too much force it will break so what appears to have happened is this material has has, has been a victim if you like of hitting the branches in the top of these trees the tree branches have pummeled the bottom of this craft and smashed off it loads and loads and loads of fragments of the outer coating and to, to some extent parts of the inner coating but not enough to stop it from flying because obviously it's 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 flown off while shedding broken fragments over three farmers fields now the farmer got up the following morning found these three fields completely covered in stuff that looked like tin foil small girders bits of sheets of metal uh, all sorts of stuff so as i said he, he phoned the local air force base they sent somebody out and then another team came out with a lot of plain clothes people and whatnot in there and spent uh, a full day doing a full cleanup operation of all three fields but they missed a few of the fragments in amongst the trees so you're in a very similar position here to the position you were at at roswell except you don't have a ufo sticking in the ground somewhere with bodies hanging out of it that that never happened here in uh, in wales because it flew off um, and then the uh, gary's team they went in sort of you know a couple of days after the cleanup operation went into the woods managed to pull out a sort of a briefcase size amount of material um, some sheets some foil that's got hexagonal shapes in it and then there's this rubber coating on the inside of most of the sheets which seems to be where the foil was uh, sandwiched if you like between to form a, a fuselage that's really really strong but very very lightweight extremely lightweight um, and he got these fragments and next minute 
the uh, Forestry Commission come in and they just cut all the trees down, destroyed the forest, got rid of it. But fortunately, Gary had nipped in the gap and managed to get these fragments. You'll find that is, in essence, what you get with Europe's Roswell. But you also get to see the fragments. That's the main thing. Uh, it does annoy me when you have all these UFO uh, investigations, sightings, crashes, you know, everything, Roswell, etc. And there isn't any real physical proof. There's nothing there. Well, in this particular case, there is. That physical proof does exist. Gary was very clever as well because he, he broke one of the pieces up into a 100 separate fragments, put them all into key rings, and then sent the key rings out to people in the press and media, which is how I got mine with the, the fragment in it, and basically with the message that well you know if i get arrested if i get the men in black turning up at my front door you know whatever happens if you get the message off me release these fragments you know go public with it can you even say that these fragments represent something that involves technology that we can't produce remember this could also be a test aircraft that has well, some flying problems yeah it's kind of that goes in stages because uh, when it came down in 1983 Apparently, we didn't have the technology. That's the official line. When it then got analysed at the time that the DVD was produced in the 1990s, British Aerospace said, well, we know what the metal is. The metal element in it is duralumin. It's an extremely pure form of duralumin. It's not something that we know how to produce, but that's what it is. And it's used in the control surfaces on fighter aircraft, you know, so the things that direct where the plane goes, they would be used on those. But then it's covered in this, this sort of green rubbery stuff that's got the hexagonal impressions in it and that's held on by resin and then on the other side there's this coating of green paint the green paint apparently is not an aerodynamic surface so it's not something you'd expect to find on a plane and they couldn't tell us what the resin was and they couldn't tell us what this strange hexagonal rubbery substance was other than the fact that it would conduct electricity so that would give the effect then that the entire shell of whatever the craft was was conductive so it'd be like one gigantic electrical circuit presumably if you had control over it you could send signals and what have you through this rubbery substance all over the surface of the craft that's in the 1990s fast forward again because we're another 20 25 years further down the line that hexagonal debris has turned up on other sites since then uh, it has been found i think somebody somewhere knows what it is i'm fairly convinced of that physically speaking i think it's of earthly manufacture but it is what they would call super technology um, and nobody's really speaking about it nobody's actually talking about what it is um, and again hexagons it's interesting they pick this hexagonal pattern because on a microscopic level now uh, so many years down the line, of course, you've got graphene and graphene as a substance is essentially hexagonal, much, much smaller, microscopic in comparison to what's on this material from the 1980s. But then that does make me wonder if it's a development, you know, is graphene a development on from from what we're seeing in the wreckage? We're talking here about what we might regard as Europe's Roswell, except that it didn't actually crash. And we're talking with Mark Olley and Gene Steinberg and Tim Swartz in The Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. 
They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right. We cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how did it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. (laughs) I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs and dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. We 
We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Tim, I'm sure you've got a thousand questions of Mark about this supposed UFO crash. Go ahead. Well, my one comment is that if this were a conventional, albeit maybe black budget, top secret aircraft, you wouldn't think that if it hit the treetops and then lost all of that type of material to cover several fields and, and, and large chunks in the trees, that it would have been able to stay flying. That was definitely stated at the time. I think it was actually a representative of, of the MOD. I didn't speak to them, but Gary did at the time. He did his investigation. And they basically said, well, you know, yeah, anything we've got that we can put into the air, if we had that level of damage, you need to go back again and have a look about five fields down for a couple of engines and a cockpit, you know, mm-hmm. sticking out of the ground. But nothing was found. You know, it basically, it just flew off. So, yeah. Yeah, something was going on there. Whatever the technology was, uh, it was capable of staying uh, essentially airborne and disappearing, having lost quite a considerable amount of its underside. Now, had anybody uh, reported uh, seeing any UFOs uh, the evening that that happened in the area or the immediate area around there? Well, at the time we did the DVD, the answer would have been no. I didn't really know of anything else that was going on at that time. Mm -hmm. But we've done a bit more investigation since, fairly recently. Um, A student actually saw a UFO rise out of the, the sea adjacent to Aberystwyth possibly that morning she photographed it but she's been unable to find the photograph that she took of it which is a real shame because i'd love to see that Uh, but as a report she saw something coming up out of the sea and and flying inland that seems to tie into it and then uh, looking at the date which we think was the night of the 19th or 20th of january we can't establish it Absolutely. But clustered around that particular January in in 1983, there are a number of other reports of sightings in the area. So it does seem to be part of something much bigger that's going on. And that's something we're still pushing into. We're still expanding that part of the investigation now. Uh, Be nice to see if, you know, if anything else does come back on that. It would have been interesting to see if you talked about how the surface with the uh, hexagonal shapes being able to conduct electricity. If anybody tried, you know, like just connecting a battery to that, just to see what would happen to it if you did run an electric charge to it. Uh, I think possibly Gary might have tried it. Um, mm-hmm. might have- I to put a couple of clips on to see what happens. I, mean, I think it literally just goes live. But it, it's interesting because the shape of the hexagons are sort of, if you like, raised out of a thin, very thin sheet of this green rubberized material. The hexagons all go live, but the entire shell doesn't. So it's an interesting it's interesting the way it works. It doesn't just sort of bleed out everywhere. It's just a green layer that is conductive. I think British Aerospace discovered it was conductive initially, hmm. but they didn't go any further than that. So you would think that there was there was um some electrical content, you know, within that green rubbery substance. Uh, there would have to be something conductive in there. Well, one of the reasons that that 
I asked about that is that there there have been reports that some of these samples or, or, or artifacts that have been uh, taken that if under the right conditions and with the right amount of, of currents, and I guess it has to be fairly specific, that they can actually induce these things to actually start regrowing almost. Now, you know, of course, since they're just chunks, they can't grow very far, but it seems to show that there's a possibility of like a self-repairing system going on uh, with these things. I think maybe that's possible with the rubberized components and, and maybe something to do with the resin that's in there. But duralumin is is fixed. It's it, that is definitely a fixed metal substance. I don't know whether the whether it would repair or not. That's interesting. Certainly, the bits that we've got, the pieces we've got, don't point in that direction. When it came down in 1983, then it clearly these pieces are maybe a more primitive form of things that, that have been seen you know more recently as you say maybe this is a some form of test craft and actually the test craft thing does it holds quite a lot of water because when we put the dvds out although we sold the copies of the dvds of europe's roswell that we had made um i was expecting some kind of you know wow factor you know, wow, someone's actually got, you know, pieces of this UFO and, it, it, you know, it, maybe it's the next stage after Roswell or whatever. I, I thought more people would have picked up on it. But in actual fact, there was only one radio station that I did an interview with when, when it was released in, in the 1990s. It was very much like the newspaper article. There was only one newspaper article that reported on the crash and then it vanished. So you've got the same thing happening there as happened with Roswell. You know, the, the newspapers covered it and then wham, the next day, it, that was it. It was a weather balloon. It was dead in the water. It was covered up the same thing seems to have happened with with the program europe's roswell we put that out and then wham it just went silent we got absolutely no reaction to that whatsoever so that actually kind of said to me that somehow we'd hit a raw nerve you know maybe what we were saying there was true and we really genuinely did have a piece of something it was no longer it was just blind faith and belief in you know flying lights and little gray men we had something physically there um and basically everybody just just didn't want to know <laughs> you know it was hands off they didn't want to cover it they didn't want to admit it you know there was it was in nobody's interest to accept that that had actually happened which again is exactly what happened with roswell you know the witnesses the eyewitnesses and the people involved there had a really really bad time of it early on for many many years some of them died without ever being vindicated you know and something definitely came down at Roswell and something definitely came down in Wales. Uh, maybe it's time in the 21st century for someone to put their hand up and go, yes, it was one of ours, you know, um, even if it's alien. You know, if they've got alien craft stuck in a hangar somewhere, you know, or, or they've genetically engineered little pilots to fly these weird things, you know, maybe it was something that Tesla invented or whatever. You know, they, they need to just come out and go, yes, we have them. Here they are, you know. It well, needs you to know, happen. Going going back to the earlier conversation about uh, uh, you know time machine and time travels, you know there was a book 
uh, written by uh, Doctor. Uh, what was his name? Was it Mark Matthews? Uh, uh, Michael Matthews called "Identified Flying Objects: A Multidisciplinary mm. Science Approach to the UFO Phenomena," and he postulates. I mean, and it's not you know it's not a new idea that UFOs are uh, uh, time machines uh, with with time. Uh, time travelers, uh, probably possibly both extraterrestrial and uh, humans uh, uh, from our from our future. But one of the main points that that he puts out is that um, uh, he believes in the uh, block time block theory. Let's the explain that in our next segment. It is complicated. Tim, Mark, and Gene, you're in the Paracast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. If you're like most Americans, you're pretty much in disbelief with what's going on in the world. As we all know, global problems are having local consequences. Too many of them. And if the peanut butter really hits the fan, are you ready? Grocery store supply chains are only as strong as their weakest link. Don't wait for them to break. Now's the time to secure emergency food for everyone in your family. My Patriot Supply is America's largest preparedness company. Our specially packaged and delicious food stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. It'll be there when you need it. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and pick up several emergency food kits. There are a dozen different sizes that average over 2,000 calories per day. Our food kits will ship quickly and discreetly to your door. Having food storage in your home beats government food lines hands down. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today and prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com USA Radio News with Kenneth Burns. President Biden has delivered what's billed as a major address on Ukraine from Warsaw. Let us resolve to put the strengths of democracies into action to thwart the designs, of our, the designs of autocracy. Let us remember that the test of this moment is the test of all time. Biden delivered the speech after meeting with Ukrainian refugees in Poland. It comes as Russia is signaling that it is implementing a new strategy in its invasion of Ukraine. Special advisor at the White House National Security Council, Matthew Miller, telling ABC's Good Morning America that the administration is not looking at Russia's words. We always wait to see what Russia actually does, not just take for granted what it actually says, because from the beginning of this conflict, they have never been honest about their aims. Miller adds that while the U.S. was warning of a Russian invasion, the Kremlin downplayed things, accusing America of fear-mongering. This is USA Radio News. The Biden administration is calling for tougher sanctions against North Korea. Pyongyang test-fired its biggest intercontinental ballistic missile to date. Kim Jong-un said his country is preparing for what it called a long-standing confrontation with the United States. The call for sanctions happened during Friday's meeting of the U.N. Security Council. The Assembly of First Nations in Canada wants an apology, a public one, from the Vatican. This after last year's discovery of about 200 unmarked and previously undocumented graves of children at what was Canada's largest indigenous residential school in British Columbia. It was one of several similar sites in that country. A meeting between First Nations and Vatican is set for next week. Tyree Sampson, who died on an amusement ride in Florida late Thursday, is being remembered. The 14-year-old fell to his death on the Orlando Freefall at Icon Park. 
The ride had only been in operation for a few months, passing inspection in December. The Florida Agriculture and Consumer Services Department is investigating the cause. You're listening to USA Radio News. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP as slim as possible. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. I asked Dr. Masters. Mm. He was a guest on the Paracast not too long ago. Let's see. We had him on twice, once on January 24th, 2021, the other June 30th, 2019. Mm. So if you want to listen, folks, to those interviews... They're available from the Paracast archives, and we did, of course, cover this. But now this time block theory. Now, this well, is different than the theory that if you go back 100 years and screw something up, it'll be like in the TV show Legends of Tomorrow, you have to deal with the consequences or back to the future. This was something very different. Go ahead, Tim. Well, he postulates, and, and this isn't new. I mean, this this is something that uh, physicists have been talking about for a while, that that time is fixed, that the past, present, and future exist all at the same time, and that the future can't be changed, the past can't be changed, the present is, is the present. So if you go back in the past, you can't change anything because it's already happened. You going into the past is part of time. You know, so anything that you do there is because it already happened. That's hard for a lot, a lot of people to wrap their head around, but it's, it's basically saying that uh, anything that you do now was meant to happen. And that uh, it's it's going to happen no matter what. <laughs> that means, for example, if you decide, I'll go back to 1963, to Dallas, Texas, to prevent the killing of JFK. And you can't. You can't. Right. Nope. I think people struggle with it because it takes away the idea that, as human beings, that we function uh, with free will. It interferes with that idea of freedom. But at the end of the day, we are limited by our possibilities, uh, we are limited within a path of life. So we do still retain free will, but only within a, a certain 
a number of choices. And once, as you say, once that choice is made, once it fades into the past, then it's just a game of consequences because it then just feeds into, you know, once the decision's made. So I think there's a little bit of flexibility in there. I'm, I'm, I, I lean towards the idea that time must be set. Uh, there must be a, you know, uh, there must be a future for people to be able to see what the future is. You know, uh, people have done that in the past. They've been really good at predicting stuff in the past. So obviously somebody's got a handle on how to do that. And as you say, once the past is done, it kind of disappears off, if you like. If you could zip across to the other side of the galaxy and receive the light waves coming from Earth and, you know, decode them, you would see the past because, you know, that's what's happening. That past is flowing. It's flowing away from us. So, yeah. I lean towards that. But then, you know, maybe somebody has cracked a method, come up with a way, a way to um, to do just that, to jump back and to and have a look at what's going on. You know, maybe it's not quite as fluid as we think it is. Well, if you went back to see what was going on, it would have to be like going on a ride where the ride is always the same and you cannot change the events. You can only witness them. Yeah, you can inter- interact too because that's what happened. You know, it it it's already happened that you went back into the past and interacted. Well, yeah. you see, then if that's complicated, you say, well, what if on the other side of the galaxy they are able to see what happened here on Earth a hundred thousand years ago, or they're in the nearby planet, say Proxima Centauri? Vintage, four light years away. It takes four years and some months for what happens here to reach the other planet. And they're looking at us and they see something. But if you can change time, all that changes too. It's changing constantly as time is not infinite and is not permanent. Maybe the explanation lies in in what I would call fixed variables, which again is this, you know, you can do a certain number of things, but only within certain limits. Um, And as you say, if if you were to go back and do something in the past, then in our time now, that's already happened. But then maybe that was meant to happen. So that's part of the plan. So you haven't actually changed anything. You're still operating within fixed limitations. So again, that's what it is. It's avoiding the idea that things just completely run amok and have no structure and are constantly changeable. It's just going back to the idea that that there is this fixed structure behind everything, which, yeah, I think I'd go along with that. Well, of course, what happens in another sci-fi concept is that in the future, they set up a group of time cops And the mission of the time cops is to make sure that those who travel into the past don't screw things up. You guys really love your (laughs) (laughs) sci-fi. Wow. I mean, the classic example of that's Terminator, isn't it? I mean, the whole Terminator franchise is all over the place with the idea of bouncing back and to and trying to, you know, stop things and start things and police things and, you know, try and protect things from finishing up going horribly wrong. The really scary thing, I mean, you guys are, you know, very well versed in in sci-fi and what have you. The scary thing is how often the science fiction predicts the science fact. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, 
are we somehow paying the past forward so that we can know what's coming up somehow before it's actually here? And then we sort of lay the, the ground rules in the past for what's about to come up in the future that was supposed to happen in the future. So as someone who's creative, as, as dipping in, if you like, to the well of creativity, very often a lot of people come up with the same ideas at exactly the same time all over planet Earth with apparently no connection whatsoever, or they all see the same thing, or they all create the same thing, or they all think the same thing. And then, of course, time, humanity, the planet then moves forward on that basis. Can so, I explain also why it seems that know, when they release a movie about something – there is a competing movie covering a similar topic at the same time. No, it's not that. It's because the production companies or the agents or all the people involved in the movie exchange or share information. And one company says, hey, let's get out of our picture first. And maybe we'll get some of the box office. That could be true of movie making, but when you get something that happens that's unrelated, so you might have you know an album released by a band in Japan that happens to deal with the same subject matter as you know a television producer over here in Manchester happens to be doing a documentary of, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden you know something else that's related to the same topic appears, you know, say in Australia, and then somebody in America does it, and, and these people are not talking to each other. You know, this is how um, some, sometimes trends and entire trends begin by creative people somehow coming up with the same creative impulse. But it's, it's also possible, in addition yeah. to the paranormal aspect, that yeah. a lot of these people are influenced by the same thing. Yes. So when the Beatles first came out, we had lots of bands that were influenced by American rock and roll, American country, American rhythm and blues and coming up with their own variations on the theme. And a lot yeah. of them knew each other because they played together at different clubs. And suddenly you have this whole branch of people going out there with their music, and the Beatles hit, and the Rolling Stones hit, and the lesser bands hit. But it all started from the same influence, and maybe it's possible some of these stories, movies, whatever, influenced by something that is related and they all go in their own direction. Yeah, yeah, I could totally agree with that. Um, there were other bands around at the time of the Beatles that sounded very similar to the Beatles, and the Beatles are very much a product of uh, rock and roll, which, of course, was 1950s rather than 1960s. A rock and roll, in turn, believe it or not, goes all the way back to some of the more cutting-edge revolutionary big band um, arrangements and what have you of the 1940s. Uh, people used to say to me, you know, where, where do you think, the origins of rock and heavy metal, uh, you know, and, and all this sort of stuff is, you know, where, where are the origins of that? Well, yeah. you know, without without any doubt whatsoever, I, I would I would say it goes back to the big bands. It goes back to, uh, you know, the arrangements that were being done. More to come with Tim and Gene and Mark. You're in the Pentecost. <laughs> listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. 
With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Stock market have you nervous? With geopolitical conflict and inflation concerns, it's virtually impossible to guess what will happen next. But with Vantage Point, you don't have to. Learn to trade with artificial intelligence. Text the word DEMO to 813813 and discover how to predict stock market trends up to three days ahead with incredible accuracy. Whether you trade stocks, options, forex, futures, or crypto, Vantage Point's patented artificial intelligence can give you a massive edge. Text DEMO to 813 813 to get what you need to stay ahead of the markets and find big moves before they happen. Don't wait. Text DEMO to 813-813. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. By texting DEMO, you agree to the terms available at vantagepointsoftware.com slash terms and consent to receive calls and text using automated technology about offers or info by or on behalf of VantagePoint. Your consent is not a condition to purchase and can be revoked at any time. Message and data rates may apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've lived a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, and other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. My free lecture is going to reveal what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. It's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood, which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop, and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. The first word is shop, spelled S-H-O-P, then the word super, and then the word tea. The complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTea.com. Hi. 
Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So, yes, you can trace music back to, what, the 30s and 40s and find things that influence current rock and roll. Of course, Paul McCartney was very much influenced by the big bands. Absolutely. The the classic uh, big band is Glenn Miller. My great-granddad was very much influenced by Glenn Miller, so I I got to hear some of the Glenn Miller records. Uh, You listen to some of those, and, you know, it's it's the classic arrangement where you've got an intro, verse-chorus, verse-chorus, solo, verse chorus funny bit at the end there's lots of arrangements like that where you think well that's basically that's you know Ozzy Osbourne's latest album you know strange intro verse chorus verse chorus guitar solo verse chorus and there's the ending it's basically it's the same arrangement and the freedom that somebody like Glenn Miller gave to uh, the other instrumentalists to burst forward and and, you know it's, it's not widely known but he used a lot of vocals as well there's a lot of lyrics Pennsylvania Pennsylvania one that one in particular has got singing on it you know again it's yes it is a development on from that i'm fairly sure that mccartney will have will have been aware of that because uh, glenn miller actually played my hometown here he came to uh, raf burton wood warrington and played here and we actually physically had the american big band sound within about six miles of paul, paul mccartney's house you know and, uh, in liverpool sure so, and look at some of the songs paul mccartney wrote yeah so heavily yeah. influenced by earlier music like honey pie when you, when you have something like that, though, and then all of a sudden it happens where it's disconnected, it happens all over all over the world, you know, and everybody's kind of coming up with the same ideas. That's when it starts to get like a bit strange. You know, you think, wow, uh, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just the human brain's way of bringing lots of disparate threads together. But the further back you go in time, the less communication was actually going on between people. Uh, we forget that the technology we've got now, you know, only really kind of took off after the Second World War. A lot of people prior to that didn't really communicate. But you get entire movements, you know, you get things like the Renaissance and what have you happening. But people just didn't communicate and travel to the same extent back then that, that they do now. But there are similarities in what people are coming up with. And it does make you wonder if there's not this enormous creative bucket somewhere that you can dip into. Tesla actually said that he could appreciate that there was this somewhere out there in the universe, this enormous creative pot that, you know, he was getting his ideas out of, other people were getting their ideas from it, but couldn't really understand what this enormous creative well of of stuff was. It was just there, you know, for us to dip into. It's like, for example, Paul McCartney dreamed some of his most famous songs, Let It Be. He dreamed of his mother saying something common like, if things get difficult, just let it be. And he dreamed the melody for yesterday. In fact, when yesterday came out, he said, this is so familiar, it must be something I remember and copied from somebody else. And he'd ask around. And it took a little bit of time before he recognized it was his own original theme. But he dreamed of it. Think of how many things people dream that become part of their creative process yeah yeah definitely i mean uh, in the in the music business there's very often a time when somebody will release a record and we used to have this joke in the studio where we'd all sit around and we'd say well you can imagine sort of in a, a writing session you know somebody walking in and saying well you know last night i came up with this tune and it goes something like this you know and and they bash out something like the guitar solo from stairway to heaven and you think where on earth did that come from (laughs) 
to that. You know, these moments uh, where we take a leap of creativity, you know, and it happens to an awful lot of creatives. It happens, it happens all the time. There'll be loads of people listening to this thinking, you know, I wrote a poem, I did a painting, I, you know, took the best photograph ever, or I play guitar or I play whatever instrument, piano, and I wrote this amazing piece. And, and they will all probably to a man say, you know, and I just have no idea where that came from. Absolutely no idea at all. It just came out of the blue don't know where it came from i get that moment when i'm writing books you know occasionally i'm writing books and something will just send me off you know in, in, a, in a direction and i think you know i have no idea where that came from you, you know, know when uh, my son and i were writing a sci-fi novel the first one <clears throat> attack of the rockoids okay <clears throat> and it's something we mentioned in the commercial how to get the book but anyway i remember some passages some sections of the book that i dreamed and I tell it to Grayson, we would set it down. I don't know where he was coming up with ideas. He'd come around into the bedroom <laughs> before he left home yeah. as a teenager, and late teenager, and a college student. And he would come up with his ideas, and we'd mesh those ideas and come up with something. Something we can't do now because he lives so many thousands of miles away. He lives in Madrid, although he's getting back into writing again, so one never knows. But when we talk about the source of this, is a universal consciousness that we all tap yes. into. And sometimes we can control the process a bit more. And if so, we become creative. And some of us become rock billionaires like Paul McCartney. He's worth <laughs> one, 1.5 billion. I hate to see his taxes. You it know, he's got like a hundred accountants making themselves rich. Oh, we're doing Paul McCartney's taxes. Ah, you know, we got yeah. that one, the big one. But seriously speaking, Maybe he learned how to tap this universal consciousness more reliably than somebody else. Or do you yeah. learn? There used to be a joke going around Liverpool that Paul McCartney actually never, never really bothered by, was never really bothered by how much was in his bank. And at the end of each year, he would just phone up his accountant and say, how many zeros? He'd just ask how many zeros had been added. <laughs> oh, dear. <sighs> Yeah, the, the whole creativity thing, the idea of, of, of coming up with an idea that, that you can't sort of really attribute to yourself. I'd come up with a term for it. It's called, I'd say it's called ambushed by creativity. That seems to fit it. It's like you're ambushed by creativity. It sneaks up on you when you don't expect it, and then it suddenly happens, and you think, wow, I really didn't see that coming. So uh, maybe someone's going to write a book. Maybe someone should write a book on that in the future. Ambushed by creativity. Well, it's again... Do you have to get into a certain state of mind to Ooh. open yourself up to this creative force and produce something? Because if that's the case, you know, I missed out. Not that I haven't written books, I have. Not that I haven't written short stories or thousands of articles, I have. But I didn't quite get into the universal consciousness here. No, no, I, I, I have good days and bad days. Um, I, I don't think it's the fault of the universal consciousness. I think it's it comes down to us and sort of where we're at as, as biological entities. I think we all have good days and bad days, you know. Yeah, definitely. Of course, Tim has also written 2,000 books, right? <laughs> uh, not quite 2,000, just 1,000. 1,998. Wow. There you go, there you go. <laughs> right, he'll tell you about that when after the Paracast how to get some of his books because they're very interesting. And he did a lot of work with the great, late, great Tim Beckley. Right. Yes. You know who Tim Beckley was, Mark? 
the name definitely rings a bell, but you've got to bear in mind that things don't always make it across the pond. Uh-huh. Uh, we don't always get things over here in the UK the same as you do over in America. So, um, And again, it's, it's a big area to follow. Yes, um, it is, and it's endless. Um, By the way, if yeah. listeners want to know where they can find more of what you do, learn more about you, Mark, where can they go? Do you have a website? Um, funnily enough, I don't, I don't actually have a website. There's a load of stuff on YouTube, absolutely tons of it. If you type in my name, Mark Ollie, uh, O-L-L-Y, if you type in Lost Treasures, you'll find a load of stuff that will come up under that banner. There's just, just lots of stuff. There's interviews, there's photographs, there's television work, there's all sorts of stuff out there. Uh, if people want to sort of really find out what I'm up to and what I'm doing, uh, if they do a search on Facebook, I think there's only two of us out there there's only two mark ollies one's me and the other one's my son so <laughs> you'll find your way to me eventually come and link with me on facebook you know i do i do take friend applications thank you mark uh, and the book is crystal skulls and human heads we'll talk more with mark on after the Paracast, our premium show you can find us on twitter the Paracast, the Paracast on facebook check out the Paracast.shop. for branded merchandise with our logos the t-shirts the Hats and all that other good stuff, theparacast.shop. Visit theparacast.plus to learn about our premium subscription package, which includes this show free of the network ads, better quality audio, and the exclusive after the Paracast podcast. Theparacast.plus. Use the coupon code UFO20, UFO20. Get a 20% discount on a five-year or lifetime subscription, the Plus. Mark Ollie, glad to meet you. Thank you for joining us on the Paracast. Thank you for having me. The Paracast. Featuring Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. <laughs>